Aaron Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos. We thought it was a good time to talk about 2018 in pop. Last week we did 2018 in hip-hop. It's been kind of a weird year in pop. You know, defining pop gets kind of hard, but it's definitely a you-know-it-when-you-see-it kind of thing. And, Brittany, we were talking yesterday, and you said it's been kind of like a weird year, off-year in pop. Yeah, there hasn't been as many big albums from, like, legacy pop artists this year. I mean, legacy in the sense of, like, have kind of dominated pop over the last, like, decade or so, even. And also just, like, not a really big pop event year. There's been a lot of great albums, I think, and a lot of career-making albums from newer artists, younger artists, artists that are kind of just now seeing their career sort of evolving in a way where an album can be called their best. But yeah, not a lot of big pop events. I feel like all the big music events have been happening in rap. Yeah, and we were saying that in some ways the year in pop is, you know, in part the year in Ariana Grande, for sure. And a few, you know, Camila Cabello had an amazing year, Mm -hmm. um, and that was a big one. Uh, Casey Musgraves made a beautiful album that won Best Country Album, but, you know, it's pretty much a pop album. Mm -hmm. Rob, how do you see this year? How would you define this year, broadly speaking, in pop? Uh, A lot of hits, sort of a transitional period in terms of a lot of, like Brittany said, a lot of the legacy artists were kind of sitting it out, and a lot of the new contenders for the throne kind of really stepped up. And so it was a, just a fantastic year for pop hits, really from, from everywhere. Mm-hmm. What were some of your favorites, if you want to uh, throw that out, and maybe we can play some of them? Well, honestly, since you brought up Ariana already, like, right. Thank You Next is such a... Understand that for expectations for Thank You Next, I would have been happy with a lot less. I was kind <laughs> of expecting it was going to be funny little trivial shade released overnight, and we'd all like snicker about it the next day and then forget about it. It turned out to be this amazing statement. It's, I think of it as her plastic Ono band, really. <laughs> She's, you know, She doesn't believe in the sweetener narrative that she spent the year sort of like... <laughs> building so it's it's kind of a beautiful and mature and wise and generous sort of statement that honestly that wasn't what I was looking for that's not what I go to Ariana Grande for <laughs> I was looking for a little petty salt and instead I got something that makes me reevaluate my life mm-hmm. the uh, the Lennon analogy kind of uh, gets really messy though because it's more like he, it's more like he he sent he recorded oh Yoko and then was like oh never mind Yoko the next year or something like it, it's in some ways the uh, the gap between hope and reality of this year can be measured by the distance between the song Pete Davidson on uh, Sweetener by Ariana Grande and then Thank You Next. Because <laughs> we all hoped that this year would work out better, but, you know, we're yeah, all just like, rediscovering ourselves after I, it turned yes, out not how we wanted. Plastic Odo Band was just a year after Abbey Road. So in many ways, <laughs> Thank You Next is his God. You know, like, like you could say that Paul taught him love and George taught him patience and Ringo taught him pain. <laughs> Let's continue this in as strained a manner as possible for about 40 minutes. But, but let's hear... Let's hear. I don't believe in Pete Davidson. <laughs> yeah. Who does? Yeah. Uh, I do, actually. <laughs> but let's hear the song, Pete Davidson, a little burst of hope towards the end of Ariana's album. Universe must have my back, up on the sky and to my lap. And I know you know that you must own me and all that. I'm like... And I will say that uh, there's a lovely line on uh, The Light is Coming by Ariana, which The Light is Coming to Take Back Everything the Darkness Stole, I think is the the line. It's like weirdly Leonard Cohen-esque for for a pop album, you know? I'm waiting for someone to just quote it, be like, put it, tweet it and be like, dash Leonard Cohen, you know? (laughs) Just see how many people retweet it. Thank you, Leonard, for your genius. (laughs) But actually, let's hear that bit uh, from The Light is Coming by Ariana Grande.
bet Leonard Cohen wishes he came up with the song title God is a Woman. <laughs> Somewhere Leonard Cohen is going, damn, like 80 years and I didn't think of that one. I do like to think about Leonard Cohen at the at one of those songwriting boot camps for a pop album. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, um. I need about 12 more verses. <laughs> yeah. yes. I'll be back in three years. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the Ariana Pete thing was fun. It was fun. Yeah. It was like one of our most fun distractions in the in in a very very messed up year I would say I mean like one of the most peak millennial and saying that in verbal air quotations relationships <laughs> that you can ever have I mean it's just like it was so perfect the way it completely maneuvered through the year like it was happening so fast no one believed in them then all of a sudden we all loved them and we were so excited for them to get married like I was genuinely rooting for their wedding <laughs> and like I loved the song Pete Davidson it's one of my favorite songs on the album on Sweetener and then they break up so suddenly and then we get one of the best breakup songs of the year it's just honestly the entire and all that happened in like six months absolutely yes absolutely <laughs> it, I have to say it's one of the best breakup songs of all time this is a yes. song that I listen to and I think why didn't this song exist when I was 19 <laughs> it's one of those things that keeps me fascinated about pop music that every year stuff happens that has never happened before and the fact that Ariana Grande yeah. has such a bold sweeping philosophical statement when we all would have been happy with just a little dirt you know <laughs> like that song really just completely blows me away yeah one of our hip hop writers uh, Charles Holmes pointed out in his mind that Ariana is basically the only pop star to figure out how to maneuver the current media and social media environment like a rapper. Mm -hmm. That she moves off news, she's able to... I mean, he said that Thank You Next was released off a of beef, which Britney disagreed with when I brought it to her, but it still it came out of... She released it very cleverly in the wake of a little exchange over actually a very funny Saturday Night Live promo. It's, by the way, the only controversy in the history of media that involved the Saturday Night Live promo. Um, but she released it on a Saturday night. Yeah, she yeah. did, yeah. So, <laughs> released it a half hour before Saturday Night Live aired. So, so in, the, in the promo... The coldest of yes. cold opens. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jonah Hill, and I'm hosting Saturday Night Live this week with musical guest Maggie Rogers. Hey, Maggie. Uh, I'm Pete. Hey, Pete. You want to get married? No. Over three. So basically, that was Pete Davidson talking to a rising pop star of sorts, Maggie Rogers. And uh, Ariana did not like that. Uh, they supposedly, if you believe TMZ or whatever, they supposedly then cut a bit of Pete talking or joking about Ariana uh, from that episode. And, and from then on, he's being quiet about it. But then that's when she released her song. So in that sense, it's quote unquote off a of beef. She was smart enough to have the song ready. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she maneuvers quickly. And it's, it's she's already on to her next album. That's kind of like a rapper. She's yeah. she's moving really fast. Uh, she does seem super savvy. And I think, as we said before, she's also the album was coming off this awful tragedy, this horror of people being killed at one of her shows by a terrorist and just sort of threading that needle of how to come up with an appropriate set of pop songs in the wake of something like that is nearly impossible and she threaded that and then went on to have a you know and then of course she's had a crazy year I mean Mac Miller died her ex-boyfriend we did a whole episode about Mac and so the life of Ariana Grande is a very eventful one and not due to her machinations at all it's just <laughs> it's just a crazy life she's had I mean to even contextualize her more just in this idea of her career I mean 
when she first started out, she had a Broadway history. She had Nickelodeon history. I think people thought of her. She got a lot of young Mariah Carey comparisons. And I think people were expecting her to just go into the big vocalist route and kind of do a lot of songs that only primarily showed off her range, only primarily showed off the fact that she can, you know, just belt with the best of them. And I think people thought that after such a tragedy that Manchester was, they were expecting probably that kind of big, booming, ballad, sad album from her. And instead, she was like, I'm 25 trying to make the best of this really terrible thing that happened to me, to my fans, to everyone that was, you know, affected by this tragedy. I got my heart broken. I fell in love. I'm going to make this album that's called Sweetener because it's meant to lighten this dark situation and then even continue to surprise us more. And I think it was interesting that she completely rerouted her career this year. I think people weren't expecting her to make an album as good as Sweetener was, but also make an album that was as fun as it was. Yeah. We're kind of all thinking that it would probably be a little bit of a dark album, a little bit more, you know, serious. And I think there was a lot of moments where she addressed anxiety and what happened and the trauma that she experienced after such a, an event like that. And I, she said it in such a relatable way. And even on social media, the way she talks about it, she details kind of the struggles of experiencing the hate that she would see after the breakup with Mac Miller and also the death of Mac Miller. And she talked about dealing with anxiety after breaking up with Pete Davidson and all of these things. She And Thank You Next feels like the logical culmination of that honesty that she's given us this year and also of that kind of authentic version of herself that wasn't a staged version, that wasn't the idea of what Ariana Grande is meant to be as a pop star. Yeah, I think that's interesting. The other thing, and I'll approach this delicately, which is her initial reputation was that she was somehow unlikable. There were a lot of sort of bad rumors about her backstage behavior, mm-hmm. There was the infamous donut licking incident, which I once ex- had to explain to Future, uh, the rapper Future. I, I forgot how it came up, but I, he was like, he was like, what? Like I was like, well, she licked a donut. She's like, he's like, she licked a donut, and I was, I, and no matter how many times I, she, he couldn't really quite see where the scandal was or what happened, it was just sort of, yeah, that conversation didn't. It was hard, um, but uh, but yes, there was this general sense that she had this sort of, you know, and I think, listen, I think she probably has a little bit of like a spiky personality. Mm-hmm. She's not some like smiley, friendly pop star. I think she did have sort of some quote unquote diva tendencies very early on. She was definitely only being photographed from one side and stuff like that, like very, like way too early in the eyes of people. But it's also like, I mean, I think now in an age when we're, we're just rethinking our sort of the tropes and the way we kind of analyze these things, it might suit her better now to not be like just this like boring, nice person. You know, I'm not saying she's a mean person or a bad person, but I think she's like a regular person with probably like an edge to her. I think she has an edge to her. And I think there's also... I mean, I love her first three albums. I think they're really solid pop albums. I think there are a lot of voice finding, obviously, like they were coming right off of being on Nickelodeon. I think the first one was released while she was still on a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. So I think there was a lot of kind of gauging what she can be and who she is and like trying not to be too like jumping off this kind of family friendly career into her more adult pop career. I think there was a lot of her kind of trying to find herself. I know like Dangerous Woman, which was the album right before Sweetener. There was a lot of a lot of different genres happening and a lot of her finding her voice and finding her footing as a pop artist. Because it was like, where does she fit? I think there's this really great vocalist. And I think there's also this desire to be a really current, fresh pop star who makes hits like Thank You Next turned out to be. And I think there was a lot of her trying to figure out where she fit into this world. And so, yeah, I think there was kind of the diva thing. 
felt like the most logical public persona. Well, and as you were saying before, she, you know, she was sort of forced to uh, to grow up in public, mm-hmm. partly because of the, you know, the horrible atrocity in Manchester, that sort of the trajectory for whatever she could have had planned for the next phase was not an option for her, and that she really kind of was forced to acquire this kind of gravitas, and that she handled it so gracefully is certainly... Beyond, you know, when I was a huge fan. It was beyond what mm-hmm. I thought she was capable of. Yeah, I, I will say she definitely. You're absolutely right. She found her style. Yeah, and it's like you could tell from the the beginning of No Tears Left to Cry. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've even said this on the show before. That moment when it transitions. I guess did that come at the end of last year? Was that I can't yeah, remember. This year. Okay, yeah. okay, this yeah. year. Okay, so I mean that moment when it transitions is like that's a legendary pop moment. It's completely irresistible. So let's hear that at the very beginning of that song. Right now. And even that play, like plays with the notion of she's going to release a big ballad. Yes, exactly. And like, when you first hear it, it sounds like this like it's going to be this big kind of like ballad about coming out of this darkness and coming out of this like really you know just crying a lot. And all of a sudden you have no tears left to cry. And then <laughs> we get a banger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a banger was born. It begins out of nowhere to slap. <laughs> So you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyde. I'm in the studio with Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield, and we're talking about 2018 in pop, and we'll be right back with more. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos. We're talking about 2018 in pop. We talked about Ariana Grande. Let's talk about Camila Cabello. She is the year's breakout pop star. She was the opening act uh, for Taylor Swift mm-hmm. on a, at least a bunch of the stadium tour. I don't the know North how much. American. Yeah, League, the North yeah. American. And she absolutely killed as an opening act. That is not an easy gig in broad daylight in a stadium to a bunch of, and, and it's the youngest segment of her fans are often the ones who were there early. She had Havana to kind of boy her, but even beyond that, like she just, people could know nothing about her and watch that performance and come away like a fan. And, and I think that's when I was fully won over 
to her as like, okay, this is a, a superstar in the making because her personality just came through so strongly. She did so many smart things. She covered uh, Can't Help Falling in Love, like just little things you'd never expect. The, the other people who were there earlier are, are the youngest fans and, and the, the old, parents. Yeah, and yeah. the parents. Yeah. So like, yeah. That was super smart crowd work. <laughs> yeah, no, just, just smart stuff. And, and she was so assured in that slot because again that's that is just the worst slot it's just you're just in broad daily you can see people streaming in with their popcorn it's just <laughs> it sucks weirdly my mind went to I was like when have I seen people in that slot and then my mind went to uh, <laughs> went to Counting Crows opening up for the Rolling Stones in like 1994 that is and the most <laughs> Brian comment <laughs> yeah, of all time yeah, yeah. you are so on brand right and, now and that, oh my god Camillo did much better in this scenario <laughs> that's what I'll say I will say that sorry Adam Duritz yeah but I mean in general she, and she made a great album mm-hmm. yeah Camila is great. I mean, such a solid debut album. And I think she spent most of 2017 releasing songs and trying to find like what her deal would be as a solo artist coming off of Fifth Harmony and, you know, trying to figure out what her songwriting voice was, trying to figure out what kind of style of music she'd even make, like who as a pop star would she be? What would kind of break? And Havana, fittingly, the song that she loved the most that felt like the greatest distillation of her history, of her personality, of her ability as a, a pop star and a songwriter, as a singer. That all came through and turned out to be a great, huge hit for her and also determined the path of her debut album, which feels really solid and has a lot of, especially for a debut album coming off of a big pop group to make such a solid one. It was great. And Never Be the Same, which is, we talked a little bit about it in the, and we did an entire episode about Camilla, but Never Be the Same, which is kind of a pseudo rock song in mm-hmm. some ways, is a huge song too huge like yeah. it's you know and so One of the best pronunciations of the year heroin <laughs> yeah heroin yes i love i very much yes i very much like the not knowing how to pronounce heroin i, I applaud that social responsibility move um but also it's such a weird song it's funny it reminds me of the specific brian eno solo album from the 70s another green world and just like now who's on brand come on yeah, okay. yeah. sorry yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. sorry but it's a very strange song and you hear it and there's so many different types of ways of thinking about pop music going into that song yeah. and it's such a brilliant thing especially for a debut album something about Camila I guess I always keep remembering how young she is because you know she's been around for so many years with Fifth Harmony so mm-hmm. I kind of thought that she was more of a the voice finding on this album which she does in such a thrilling way is really uh, it's part of the appeal. I'm still laughing because because I'm trying to decide which is more absurd, the comparison you made or the comparison I made, but I, I, do, know you, I do know what you mean. You were talking to her, you had that great interview with her when she was making this album and she gave you some hilariously long title. I forget what the long title was. Uh, like, um, oh my God, I don't even remember. So there was an original title that was like the the healing, the hurting, the loving. Yeah, yeah yes. Which yes. was the original. She's also like, she's like a pop punk emo kid, so like it was a very, a very peak 2007 Fueled by Ramen title for an album. <laughs> but yeah, and it started, like, for the first single that she released was Crying in the Club, which was, I think, very good. But I think it was, like, that was her trying to find her, who she was as a pop star, like, her entire vibe as a pop star. And she it was very emo. It was a very emo start. Yeah, uh, that was, I mean, that was what was interesting. And it was definitely Britney's piece. Like, she switched gears. She's like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make something that's less wallowing in something and something fresher. And I, I think uh, clearly the right move. Yeah. And because Havana was released the same day as OMG with Quavo. And they were two very, very different songs. She dropped them both. I think this was around like August or September before she had kind of figured out the direction of her debut album and omg was just like very very like trap pop very you know like anyone could have sung that song but havana no like it just sounds so totally her and sounds so great and so simple and so different than everything else 
you heard on radio. And so it was very clear that it took that song to really be like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to release. Yeah, OMG would have been kind of a disastrous direction for her, I think. Oh, yeah. So let's actually hear OMG to get a sense of, you know, it's just sort of trap pop. It was whatever. Mm -hmm. Baby, what you say? I ain't here to, I ain't here to come and say, baby, I don't play from Miami causing trouble in LA. And then let's hear uh, Never Be the Same because we were talking about that. Again, it's obvious, and we've talked about it before, but it's just very nice and appropriate that an immigrant from Cuba would be who someone who, who talks about it proudly and has written about it would be the uh, sort of premier breaking pop star of 2018 feels very appropriate mm-hmm. and very, you know, that's that's kind of how it should be. Yeah. I love the moment on the Grammy Awards where she was introducing U2 and they were yes. at the Statue of Liberty doing their song about immigration. And I'm like, literally everybody watching this, definitely including Bono, thinks that maybe it should have been Bono introducing Camila. But <laughs> it was uh, it, just a, a beautiful sort of moment of like different different schools of, of pop music operating on the same level. And Bono, I think, sent flowers to both her and yes. Cardi B. Two right? great pop stories of the year. Absolutely. <laughs> Bono knows what time it is. Uh, but Havana, also a song that, you know, that we've all been hearing constantly for over a year now. It, it just, it, the staying power of that song and the stamina of that song, there's just so much going on in it musically and emotionally. It's really kind of just a, a epical hit. And it get, it's so catchy without getting annoying. Like, I feel like yeah. I can just hear it for decades to come and just like never be, never turn it off yeah. and never, never be sick of hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and such a melancholic song, but like a bit of song that also, you know, lifts you up rhythmically. It's yeah. just a really astonishingly durable pop hit. Just, yeah. You know, one that we are not, not going to get sick of anytime Mm-mm. soon. And she'll be around for a while. I think that's pretty clear. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So sort of bubbling under is the return of Carly Rae Jepsen. And there's a lot to talk about with Carly Rae Jepsen because some people, many people, I would say the majority of people think of Carly Rae Jepsen as a one-hit wonder. Uh, she has essentially two careers. She's in the big, vast mainstream. She's a one-hit wonder, someone who had the song Call Me Maybe and then essentially disappeared to the to the sort of mainstream. However, <laughs> there is another Carly Rae Jepsen. The other Carly Rae Jepsen is beloved for making a series of, I guess, what we might call bops. You know, her album Emotion is a profoundly beloved album for her fans who are kind of a deeper level of pop fan. And uh, I think Rob once called her artisanal pop. Uh, <laughs> it's it's for people who need a, just like a like it's sort of a, a little bit more of a handmade touch to their pop. But no, I mean she she has a, a new album coming out actually in March, I believe, or next year. I don't know exactly when. We can say we heard a, a few songs from it that are unreleased and they're really good. Uh, but the song that came out is Party for One, mm-hmm. right? And uh, a bop in every sense of the word, <laughs> yeah. in the Cindy Lauper sense. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Uh, and I was saying that th- th- you could link it to the moment in Ariana's song and Thank You Next when she's like, basically, I met someone new, her name is Ari and blah, 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 like, like self-love, even though I think, you know, this is a more, a different kind of self-love in, in the in the Carly song. But th- it does say something maybe about the turn 2018 yeah. is taking. I don't know. Bangers about being alone. <laughs> what was that Fifth Harmony song? Like, oh, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to my reflection. Oh, yes. Like, Camila was there at the start of this trend. <laughs> but yeah, at a time when, you know, female pop stars are pop stars at this point, it's a theme where really overt self-love and self-praise mm-hmm. is, you know, is a politically and, and culturally very resonant move. And reinventing it too. I think making it just like reinventing what female empowerment even is in pop and like what we do with it and trying to make it a lot more internal and making that kind of internal statement about yourself and having that reflect off to kind of the greater population. Yeah. Mm. It's also like in uh, in an age when it's universally agreed that many, many men really suck, it's sort of like if you're a heterosexual woman, it's maybe just like, just leave me alone. Like, yeah. like maybe it's just like, is <laughs> that, I mean, that's sort of a little bit of the subtext too, right? Yeah, bangers about being alone. Yeah, yeah. No bangers about, you know, love songs this yeah. year. It was not a year for pop songs that are love songs. It Only was... about Pete Davidson. <laughs> Pete Davidson was the, was the last chance for men. They needed one man to root for, and Pete Davidson failed us. Damn Someone, it, Pete. It's... Well, you know, the was a theme through the year that for Ariana sort of like you know living out that whole story in terms of songs and, and the fact that these are great songs that she's making about it is why we care about it. it's not like any of us care about Pete Davidson like mm-hmm. as, you know but you know responding to the rise and fall of an extremely abrupt relationship that she was able to make that you know as, as Brittany said a very relatable theme. Yeah. And also there's a lot of just like internal kind of self-care you know mental health work being done in pop this year and I mean again Ariana's album with Breathe In and a lot of the songs kind of dealing with anxiety and mental health in my blood by Shawn Mendes also about the same topic like I think a lot of people were trying to find ways to talk about themselves taking care of themselves and then also making it kind of a a greater more universal topic and Carrie is like taking care of herself (laughs) (laughs) so let's hear let's hear a party for one Talk about the um, the boys who would be John Mayer because you mentioned Sean Mendez. Yes, uh, John Mayer core is a very unexpected development. Yeah, that John Mayer and we we had a little piece on this in the Hot Issue. John Mayer has become a hero and a guiding light for a new generation. People really love John Mayer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit. It's, I don't get it, but Shawn Mendes and Halsey really are like kind of the top two right now, and Charlie Puth. Like a lot of the male pop stars, really, really love John Mayer. He's hardly qualifies as one of the people influenced by it. But I was in a car uh, with the rapper Machine Gun Kelly, and uh, we were driving actually to you know it's a nice story. He was driving to meet an injured fan. We drove like he drove like like an hour and a half out of his way to do it. This is all really nice. But I was doing a, a feature on it. And at one point he started putting on John Mayer song after John Mayer song. And I was just <laughs> like, hmm. And it just, and for him, it was just like that, you know, it was a legend. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually, it was, the, it was from Continuum, the, st- 
up, which is the album I, I did a John Mayer feature on back in the day, and is the reason John doesn't talk to me. Um, we'll, we'll get over it someday. It's a good piece, though. You should look it up. But anyway, he's in that time that was like 2006 or whatever. He's yeah, he's become a symbol for sort of sensitive male songwriting, paired with perhaps tasty blues licks, and just you know, for someone like Shawn Mendes, he's a, he's an absolute idol. And then uh, you know, even Niall Horan from uh, One Direction. That's mm-hmm. he's definitely a AmeriCorps guy as well, and he's been on tour. Yeah, I think he's become like a, a huge mentor for a lot of young artists as well, not beyond just like being an influence for them, but he's been working with a lot of younger artists. And I think kind of it seems like he's taken a step back to kind of help mold these artists as songwriters and producers and things like that in the studio, which is pretty cool. Like, and I think for just male pop stars, it's funny that male pop stars have taken over the like lonely kid with guitar archetype, which mm-hmm. used to be, you know, a role reserved for the female pop stars. And as the female pop stars have left that behind, that's something that has become like, you know, almost the only path to be a male pop star. Yeah. And the kind of the machismo of it has left. It's like very sensitive. It's a yes. little bit more like, again, the same sort of internal struggles are being dealt with in the songs, the same sort of like kind of awareness of self-care is being dealt with in these songs, which is also a nice move for a lot of it. Absolutely. Uh, I love the part of our new uh, Sean Mendes cover story by mm-hmm. Patrick Doyle, where he's talking about uh, his internal struggle over being Instagrammed with Taylor Swift putting glitter on him, yeah. which was like such a, f- and of course I read it thinking like, well, this is a strange thing to have an anxiety attack about. Yeah. But, you know, but it was like a really kind of, you know, that he's sort of thinking out loud about what it means to him to grow up and to be male and, and the sort of the, the ways that he's thinking about it. It was it was an interesting, you know, that's sort of what a male pop star is doing now. Yeah, and there's that great interview with um, Harry Styles and Timothee Chalamet where they talked about masculinity and their ideas of it and how they perceive themselves in sort of the history of toxic masculinity and trying to play with that. But I think, yeah, masculinity has played a, a big role in, and people's relationship with masculinity has played a huge role in pop this year. Absolutely. And as, as always, One Direction, we're ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in terms of like, you know, using the acoustic guitars, you mentioned Niall and Harry, like they, they have really sort of made that the template for, you know, for what a male pop star does. Yeah. Let's hear In My Blood by Shawn Mendes. Help me. It's like the walls are keeping in. Sometimes I feel like giving up. And Mariah Carey came out with a new album, and it's really good. It's called mm-hmm. Caution. Listening to it, you you just know, like, oh my God, she's back. Yeah. It's crazy. How did she do that? <laughs> I mean, she worked with a lot of different producers. She worked with a lot of the people that work with artists like Drake, and so it feels really fresh. It also kind of has the really great Mariah snark to it. Like, she <laughs> she knows how to insult someone really well. And also very beautifully. And so (laughs) it has a lot of that tone to the album, which is nice. And yeah, I think her songwriting is stronger than ever. I think she kind of like pulled back from trying too much to be like trend hopping. But yeah, it it feels really good. Like it feels like probably her best album since emancipation for me. Yeah, it feels current without feeling strained. Yeah. And it feels like her, instantaneously her. It's not like, oh, who is this? Not even for a second. You know exactly who mm-hmm. you listen to. We should listen to GTFO, which is the first track and instantly establishes like, has a sort of sass to it that's like pretty delightful. You 
What did you make of it, Rob? Were you surprised that she made such a strong album at this point? Absolutely, yes. In an album that clearly she wanted to make and that she cared about a lot, it does remind me of Emancipation. It's yeah. it's a very sort of, in a way, out of line album for her to make, but but that she was taking it really seriously is just a you know a surprise. And I think she also played into a lot of the shifting narrative around her own public image. I think she's become sort of this weird social media icon, this huge meme. Like, obviously, she loves that. She loves this idea that, like, people kind of, like, worship the most diva-esque stuff about her and, like, how she is kind of the premier diva of pop and R&B and everything. And so I think she's played into that. Well, yeah, there's a self-awareness coming in, which is, in some ways, the thing you might least associate with her. Yeah. You know, but it's there, you know. At this point, I think maybe her New Year's Eve debacle as, as it was perceived at the time, was the birth of the new Mariah. Yes. Be like, it was the crucible in which a new yes, Mariah was born. That yeah. she was just like standing there and just like, I don't like how this is going, so I'm not even going to jump in at any point in lip sync. I, I think in many ways, like especially coming as, as it did at a crisis point for our nation, we look to Mariah now for cultural and moral leadership. So Mariah, fr- yeah. she needed the tea and she gave she, us the tea. She did. <laughs> you're framing it as a sort of Bartleby-esque refusal to yes, participate. Yes, yes yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She really, like, she came back from that really strong. It could have been awful. And she really was like, she was like, I just need a tea. I just need a tea and no one had tea for me. Yeah, absolutely. At this point, <laughs> I don't know her is arguably more famous than any of her songs. Yeah. Like, you know, future generations might remember her as the New Year's Eve she wanted tea and didn't get tea, <laughs> and that she doesn't know her. <laughs> so uh, Lana Del Rey, as uh, Brittany reminded us, is doesn't have an album out yet, but it has it's, yeah. it's having a good year, and we'll have a good year next year, I imagine. I mean, Venice Bitch is amazing. Mariner's Apartment Complex, even better. I mean, we were talking about Leonard Cohen earlier. I think they're very, like... Leonard Cohen was like, I'm going to write a bunch of pop songs. (laughs) It would be those. It would be Mariner's Apartment Complex. It would be like this like weird memory about walking past an apartment of an ex's friend. Just so good. Yeah. Those are both really sort. Do you like one of those songs better than the other? I like Mariner's a lot more. Me too, actually. Yeah. Let's hear that one. You took my sadness out of context at the Mariner's Apartment Complex. I ain't no candle in the wind. It also seems like another person who wouldn't expect to achieve self-awareness uh, is yes. achieving it. And I think she's... Sorry, I'm talking about her like she's an artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> I think she she's finding a way to get that like nostalgia of her pop sound and really make it so over the top and really kind of campy. And also I think she's growing stronger as a songwriter with every album. And I think this one... I'm really looking forward to what we're going to hear from this one. It's going to be with Jack Antonoff, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, though. Is the whole album with Jack Antonoff? I don't know, actually. I know those those two songs, I believe, are with him. Can't wait for those rumors to stop start popping. <laughs> so we we did want to talk about Taylor Swift because, you know, just because she didn't her album didn't come out this year, she had the biggest tour of this year, um, a tour that people were like, oh, it's not selling out, and it turned out her strategy with the business strategy of selling tickets worked perfectly. It was enormous. The tour was a great success, and uh, the song Delicate was everywhere. Great it was song. everywhere. In terms of being ubiquitous in a way you want a pop hit to be ubiquitous. You hear it late at night in a cab Mm -hmm. or in a deli by yourself. It's one of those pop songs that you hear always at really super vulnerable moments and it messes you up emotionally every single time. Yeah. Let's hear Delicate again. Pretend you're in a deli and hear Delicate. (laughs) (laughs) The 
deli bop is a very specific <laughs> kind of bop. Yeah, and the one you hear in the wild, that's the thing, like, you know, Delicate is a song I can play at home 20 times in a row and, like, mm-hmm. sing along and isn't it, isn't it, isn't it, along with it. But it's funny that it's a song that, in terms of pop songs that you hear in the wild all year long, and it always catches you at a moment where it's like, oh, man. <laughs> a song that really gives you the read that you didn't necessarily want. It's, to me, that's a song that that kept doing that all year. Yeah, and it was kind of a, a sleeper pop hit, too. I think it, it didn't become, I think it hit number one on the pop charts or at least, like, top five like in june or july or something like it was like way after the album came out way after she had dropped it as a single and it just sort of stuck around for so long and then ended up becoming like an accidental pop hit for her because it's just so good yeah (laughs) you know and it's so good yes (laughs) it was so good that it overcame whatever whatever will was out there but like no we want this this weird sense out there that people wanted this taylor project to fail and and it just it's just like no you know what this song's too good you're just gonna have to like it couldn't deny it and I think it is interesting. I mean, she has quietly overcome a lot of that, I mm-hmm. think. And I think we'll maybe when she comes out and does interviews with the next cycle, we'll get more of a sense of this. But the tour was a total triumph. Kanye <laughs> had a terrible year and yeah. flamed out even as she kind of remained an even keel. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, like, where the public perception of Taylor is, you know. And I think that kind of speaks to the year in pop overall where it's like the projects that we got the singles that we got the moments that we got from different pop buyers this year were really so completely a 180 from anything we expected from them i think from taylor delicate feels so different than what people were expecting reputation to be when we first heard look what you made me do and even just kind of the branding of the era last year and what we ended up getting with delicate kind of being this long hit over the course of 2018 and yeah I mean just from the success of the tour and kind of her speaking out on politics I mean everything that we got from this year no one would have called for Taylor and in terms of the theme that we were talking about before with female pop stars and and self-care and self-acceptance and that that's the album that she made at a time when the narrative people were expecting was a very different kind of album Mm -hmm. and that she actually did a song about sort of you know, stepping away from self-destructive aspects of your life and really building on things that are positive in your life. That was a theme that, you know, that she's explored in a lot of her songs over the years, but that was really sort of uh, the dominant theme of this record and that she, you know, her influence was everywhere this year. Yeah. I wonder if in general, the very real dominance of hip hop on the charts has in some ways freed pop artists to try things that are mu- are kind of wildly different because yeah. just sort of going with the it's not clear if they wanted to go with the flow what the flow would be other than to basically make a hip-hop song mm-hmm. you know or just have heavily feature so it maybe it just is allowed things as you know as weird as what Camille Cabello has tried and yeah. just maybe it's been a good thing for pop musically if not commercially yeah because I think it's, it's so obvious when pop artists are trying to hop on trends and trying to hop on because it's moving so quickly I mean like I don't want to hear a Taylor Swift SoundCloud rap song. Like she's not going to do that. She's not going to try to make that. Ariana Grande is not going to make, you know, a song with I don't know, just like Lil Peep or, or not Lil Peep, but like Lil Pump and like you know, you're not going to like work with. Yeah, these she's people. definitely not going to make a song. Not with Lil, Pump. Yeah. <laughs> Lil Pump. It's so obvious that they're trying to hop on these trends that I think, and the trends are moving so rapidly and they're so different than 
everything else that comes before it. So yeah, it's definitely freed them up to kind of look back or look to different influences and do things that no one would expect from them. Yeah. In our last few minutes here, what were your absolute favorite pop moments of, of 2018? Uh, you know, I, I will say again that uh, Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour uh, is probably the album I listened to most this year. And it's just, it's a lovely sort of country pop album. And for me, it was kind of the bomb that was needed in a, in a very nasty year. And she may be one of the futures of, of pop, even though she's, you know, I guess her pop status is, is liminal. But, you know, I, I consider her. I consider her pop, do you? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what else? What did you guys Absolutely. like? Absolutely. She uh, also like it was really kind of wonderful that she spent the summer on tour with Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. And something about seeing that double bill for some reason that's when I think of pop in 2018, I will think of Casey Musgraves and Harry Styles sharing a stage, playing for the same crowd, and you know both going way outside what they've done before stylistically, mm-hmm. and really reaching out and experimenting and finding that common ground with a you know very enthusiastic audience. Yeah. And in a way, Harry and Casey going on stage together to duet on a Shania Twain song is sort of sums up 2018 for me. Oh, I'm so bummed I missed that. <laughs> Which Shania Twain was on? You're it? still the one. Of course. It's beautiful. Cried like a baby. <laughs> Cried like a baby. And just, uh, I was going to ask, like, just a couple pop highlights uh, for the year for you. Um, other than Pete Ariana as couple of the year, I, I <laughs> love the Rita Ora singles and album. That was another pop surprise that I was not did not expect to end the year with a Rita Ora album, period, <laughs> but also that I loved. And um, I mean, we obviously had spent another episode talking about it, but Star is Born is, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, probably my favorite album of the year and of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should, we should say it was a huge year for Lady Gaga, but we just we just didn't talk much about her because we just did a Star is Born episode. But yeah, yeah. a great unexpected another 180 turn from a pop star yeah exactly so and another example of how given the commercial landscape doing stuff that's totally unexpected can really really full image shift yeah so uh, we're not sleeping on Gaga we just did a whole episode never sleeping on Gaga and uh, Haley Kiyoko is like Mm -hmm. such a fascinating story all year and somebody again like coming in with a past who could have repeated herself chose very much not to repeat herself chose to do stuff that as, as far as I know nobody has done this kind of you know 180 before as, as Brittany said that really is what pop stars did this year was just to stay vital and current they had to do total 180s so Haley in, instead of relying on what she did in the past you know Curious such a, a I think a defining song mm-hmm. of 2018 Well, and what should we hear from her I think Curious I'm just curious When she sang with Taylor at Foxborough, like when she came out on stage to sing that together, and a lot of great queer pop artists that we've seen really rise to the top, that Troy and Haley, I think that's awesome. Absolutely, and yeah. Haley totally leading the way, and also like coming from you know a kiddie TV past and becoming you know a, very much a teen pop star, moving into adulthood and taking her teen pop past with her, like in a really explicitly queer identified way. Mm-hmm. As she said, it was twenty gay teen. Yep, indeed. And with that, this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. Thanks to Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spano. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Check out all the back episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Welcome. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.